Hello, my name is Lillian. I'm not sure how to lower this, so I'm going to stay on my tiptoes. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. I don't want to break anything. I've had enough technical stuff. Okay. Um, I'm reading from Ephesians 5, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. Amen. We'll dismiss our school-age kids. They can head to the back um, to just go have the best time. And the rest of us, let me invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to open to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, the text I just read, but also put your finger in uh, Philippians 2. Um, this is a time where we are focusing on uh, marriage today and God's eye design and ideal of marriage. And we did that specifically in the 9.30. We're going to do it specifically in the 5 o'clock. Um, I'm going to mention it a little today, but today's uh, sermon is not necessarily just on a marriage. I want to talk today about what it means to love like Jesus. <clears throat> we, um, this, this week, uh, Dave invited me, um, uh, he said to help him uh, take uh, drive an RV down to uh, the beach and that he was covering all the costs. And I thought, you know what? That's a way to really get me motivated. The beach, ask for help whether you need it or not, and you're covering all the costs. <clears throat> and so um, I was excited about it. <clears throat> we did it. It was nothing like what I anticipated you see these RVs, they're so comfortable and luxurious. This was not that. It was, it was like riding the log ride. If you remember the log ride from Hamels way back in the day, it was like riding that <clears throat> all the way. Um, it was fine. We had great <clears throat> conversation. Dave did some um, drifting. He did some drifting in that thing. Seriously, scared us to death. Um, we finally get there. Well, almost there. We're 10 miles out, and we pull over to get a rent car. We get the rent car. We're back in this 40-foot <clears throat> log ride out of the parking lot, and it dies. And it dies in such a way that it completely blocks the entrance and exit to the Enterprise rent-a-car. Like, if he tried harder, he couldn't have blocked it better. It just, you, you couldn't have got a bike through there. And so all the people, employees are like lining up to leave, and Dave's in the stress mode. And I've got no dog in the hunt here. I'm just laughing. I was like, this is, this is funny. This is funny. <clears throat> Dave, remember, I came to see the beach. That's why, that's why we're here. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we get in this panic mode a little bit. The employees jump the curb to leave. One employee doesn't have a truck to jump the curb. They leave their car. Someone has to come pick them up. This nightmare, and Dave moves into what we both do, like, okay, this thing's got to start. It's, it's just turning over. It just won't fire. I'm calling everyone I know about diesel engines. We're looking at all the PDFs. We're just trying to diagnose this thing. We're doing what we know how to do. It's not our RV, and no luck. And so we go home a little defeated. We do find some fried shrimp that make, it, make us feel a little better. Um, come back the next morning, meet a mechanic there. He brings all his computers and all his tools and uh, whatever, and he can't get it either. And then finally, we have to have it just towed back, uh, towed a couple uh, miles to a service dealer who actually is going to figure this thing out. And I just thought about that this morning. I was thinking, we're talking about marriage, but we're really talking about what it means to love like Jesus. And what we need this morning, and this is what we prayed for earlier in our little prayer meeting today, is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate what you need. See, a lot of us, we just can't get going. We seem like we're in this trench or we're stuck in this thing and we're doing all that we know how to do. We're bleeding the lines and we're cranking it and we're turning batteries and off batteries and we're 
adding whatever, and we're trying to do all these things, and it just doesn't seem to be working. And I think the greatest thing that we could do this morning is quiet our hearts a moment and ask Holy Spirit to speak to us. You know, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that he was going to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. And the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16 would be the one that leads us to all truth. And so that's my prayer, right? The Holy Spirit would do that very thing. So I'm going to invite you to pray right where you're at, even as I pray aloud. And would you just ask the Holy Spirit if he would lead you to diagnose the, the symptoms, the cause of the brokenness in our lives, of the addiction to sin, of the things someone else said to us that seemed to be on repeat, the accusation of the enemy, the lies that we've believed. Just invite the Holy Spirit that he would speak to your heart. God, I love you. Thank you for these men and women. And there's been a lot that's gone on to today and people got up really early to drive trailers and set staging and speakers and curtains and watch kids. Many of us got up early today and got our kids ready and got things ready and got in a car. We drove here and all of this would be in vain if we don't hear from you. So Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts? Some of us are so good at playing these religious games and we're, we're in autopilot just showing up to get this thing through with so we can go to the next thing. And that would just be such a tragedy that we would do all of this work and not hear from you. So, Lord, speak to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Talk a little bit about relationships today, about marriage a little bit. We've just drifted so much from God's original instructions. Our culture is speeding away from God's intents of how to really love each other and how to really care for each other. Of course, my heart is not to isolate or to bring shame uh, to the divorced or to embarrass the single or to bore the teenagers. It's quite opposite of that, actually. What we're going to do today is lift up the ideal. What, uh, what's that Matt Chandler quote? Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. And so if you're a single woman or a single man in here, I hope you hear this and begin to think, this is the kind of woman that I want to be. This is the kind of man that I'm going to look for. If you're a teenager in here, I hope you begin to leverage your life in the direction that God would lift up as this is how you love other people. And some of you, even this, probably a third of the room are not in a married relationship right now, and this is not to isolate you in any way. As a matter of fact, this idea of sowing and reaping, you sow off season. And so some of you can begin to sow the truth of God's word and what it means in relationships now so that later when you're in that next level kind of relationship that you'll be reaping the fruit that you sowed in the previous season. When we look at God's word, we look at it this way. As Jesus if Jesus was in the room and if he could sit down with you and you could just have coffee with Jesus and you would just have your list of questions there about this or, or that and it could be questions, uh, you know, about your future and what he would lead you to do and you know that he knows everything but not only that but he loves you perfectly and intimately and so much love for you that he was willing to give his own life for yours. Would you, would you take his advice? I think most of us would. And this is what the Bible speaks to us. I used to tell teenagers all the time, you know, I was a youth pastor for over a decade. I would tell, it's cheesy, but I would tell teenagers all the time, you do it God's way and you get God's best. You do it your way and you're going to make a mess. You do it God's way, you get God's best. That didn't mean life without pain, it doesn't mean that. It just means you get God's best. You do it your way. And haven't we seen this in the moments in your life where you've decided that you want to go do things your way? You know, God, I know you said this, and I know this is what the Word of God says, but this is how I feel, and this is what I want to do. And we, we, we kind of take 
take the ball in our own hands and we want to do something of our own sorts and so we do it and it just it just makes a mess and then we try to fix it and it compounds the mess and on and on we could go so we do it God's way Marriage is God's idea, and the passage that was read in Ephesians, we're never going to preach through all that. Again, we're going to spend most of our time in Philippians 2, but this is the ideal of marriage that uh, the Apostle Paul is quoting. This is way back in Genesis 2. Jesus himself would use this very same teaching out of Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then he would say, this mystery is so profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and see that the wife respects her husband. And there's so much going on in here. And I got one, just, I got two points today. The first one is that marriage is God's idea. It's something that he invented. This is not something we stumbled into. Marriage is God's idea. And marriage is... God's idea for the purpose of reflecting the gospel, that your life, that your relationship would be a gospel metaphor, that our actions in marriage would reflect the gospel. This is what he says here in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. See, marriage is a mirror of a relationship between Christ and his church. The entire passage, if you, you read it at your own Leisure is a picture of Christ in the church that you'll never really understand relationships. Specifically, you'll never really understand a marriage relationship outside of the context of Christ in the church. You'll never really understand marriage, its finer points, its deeper purposes, its greater meaning until you understand the relationship between Christ and his bride, the local church. Marriage is like a glass in which you can see through dimly what heaven will be like. How you will know and be known. Marriage was created to give us a glimpse of heaven, a foretaste of knowing and being known on a deeper level. To know your spouse on such an intimate level more than anyone else takes such great responsibility because you now have ammunition. You now know the most sacred parts of them. And if you're not careful, the enemy will take that knowledge that you know and whisper in your ear and you will use that to harm your spouse. To know and be known takes such great responsibility. And Paul's telling us this, and Paul was not married. He's just given us God's idea on marriage. And as a matter of fact, most of the biblical writers in the New Testament were not married. We see all the words of Jesus so eloquently. He was single. Paul even says in an area, if, if, if you can, you should stay single because you're going to be able to do so much more kingdom work. But Paul understood that the command to cultivate and procreate was God's idea from the beginning. And so he lays out kind of the ideas of marriage and that first being that marriage is God's idea. Can I ask you a question? The married couple's in the room and we're fixing to get to everyone else here in just seconds. Does your marriage proclaim the beautiful mystery of the gospel? In the way that you forgive each other, in the way that you honor each other, in the way that you trust one another, in the way that you love, in the way that you sacrifice, in the way that you serve, in the way that you prioritize? Could someone else looking at your marriage and how it works and how it functions, would, would they stand back and say, something is so odd about this? Men, in your marriage, do you show the world a picture of Jesus through your commitment and selflessness and sacrifice that you would display to the world the kind of love that Jesus has for his church? Would, would your spouse be able to confidently say, oh, he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but his aim is to love me sacrificially. And for you ladies, through your loyalty and trust and grace and kindness to your husbands, do you show the world how the church should respond to the love of Jesus just as you respond to the leadership 
and love of your husband. See, this is the standard. And we all fall short of the standard. Which is why I love that Paul makes this turn about Jesus. The second point, we're going to get to that just in a second. The second point I have today is that marriage takes work. And you could broaden that out, not just marriage, but relationships worth having take work. In the Ephesians 5 passage, you know, it's in verse 21, you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and 22 wives to your husbands as even unto the Lord. In verse 24, as the church would submit to Christ. In verse 25, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Loving your wife even as much as you love yourself. I mean, on and on. Respecting and cherishing and loving and submitting. All these words that seem impossible and they are impossible if you just try to do them on a whim. These things take real work. It's funny to me how we will have a strategic plan for growth in every area of our lives. You do it in your occupation. You do it on your, you're trying to get your beach body before the summer gets here. And you got, uh, I was talking to somebody just a couple days ago, I won't mention their name, is doing the 75 hard. And I was like, can I just do like a, a hundred kind of hard or, or 50 pudgy? Can we do 50 pudgy? That. Maybe, maybe, that's, that's, maybe that's more my, you know, we, we come up with a plan. We come up with a plan for our finances and, you know, we, we come up with a plan of where we're going to invest our money and we come up with a plan for retirement and we, we, we come up with a plan to care for our homes and for our cars and we have maintenance. We, we got a plan for those things. And then when it comes to actually growing the likeness of Jesus' discipleship, we got no plan. And when it comes to working to grow in our relationships on a deeper level, we got no plan. Oh, I'm just going to wing that. When it comes to bringing up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, most of us, if we're not careful, we got no plan. And it's not okay to have no plan. God's given you so much intelligence so that you could think through what's the plan? Where are we going? Where am I going to prioritize my effort and my intellect and, 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 and my eagerness and the rhythms of, of my life and the, 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 the liturgy of, of, of my week? Where, where am I going to invest? Where am I going to sow these seeds so that one day we can reap a harvest? Some of you married couples are going to want to walk out of here and you're going to want your marriage to get better. And I pray that it does. I pray there's some things you learn, there's some shifts you take, there's some stuff you repent of that you would leave today, literally today, and you would go have lunch and you would talk about some of these things and you would get better. But most of you who would say, Luke, I just don't have the best marriage. That didn't happen yesterday. That happened through years and years and years of neglect. And listen, you were set up for failure. I'll give you that. I was just thinking about the, the, the math equation here. We, we have uh, original sin, and we've got all of our, plus all of our disordered uh, loves, plus uh, the way we saw our parents do it, um, plus the model that uh, culture has set before us. And then you multiply that times two that move into the same house and share the same bed. And that doesn't necessarily equal a thriving, joy-filled, abundant life kind of marriage. It just doesn't. You know what it equals? Chaos and brokenness and hurt feelings and bad patterns except for Jesus. Because when you add Jesus to that quotient, original sin and disordered loves and the way you saw your parents do it and the model that sets before you in culture multiplied times two of you with Jesus. You can have a marriage that Paul says 
the watching world is going to see and they're going to be like, that's so mysterious. That's not like anything I've ever seen. The way they love, the way they care for, the way they forgive, the way that they're resilient. It takes work. It takes work to submit to one another because we each have our own dreams and desires and cultures and things we find fun and we have different love languages and we're different people and we all have wounds and scars and needs and triggers and things we don't even know about. And Wives, am I telling the truth? It takes work to respect your husband when he's a fallen sinner. It takes work. Husbands, it takes work to love your wife as Christ loves the church. This is not chocolate chip kind of love either. Like... Because we would say, I love her like I love chocolate chip cookies, but this is the next level. He says, this is the definition of love, like Christ loved the church. Have you seen any greater love than that? When we were in our own sin, when we were hostile to God, when we were aliens, when we were vehement against him, when, when we were angry and emboldened and throwing curses at him in that state, he chose to love us to the extent that he would give his life. That is a pretty high standard. Flip over to Ephesians, I mean Philippians 2. Just the next, uh, next book in your thing. And I want to spend some time here. We've talked about this text. I mentioned some of these ideas in, uh, a year or two ago in, in one of the talks I did here. But I just, as I read this this week, it just grabbed my heart. Philippians 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians is a letter written to the church, not married couples. It's a letter written to the church at Philippi. They were in a very pagan culture. And he's trying to redefine the idea of the love of Jesus through people towards each other. And he is setting a radical new standard. And he really throws out three kinds of intimacy that I'm gonna, I, wanna, I wanna talk about. And if you're married, these would, would be seen in your marriage. If you're not married, these should be seen in at, at least the posture of your heart, the, the, the working after the ideal that you're even chasing in your other uh, relationships, relationships with a good, a good friend, relationships with other believers. Again, this was written to the church. If it's true, certainly of the church, it's what a... What a lab do we have in our own homes that we can see if the love of Jesus really pours out of us when we're squeezed. Anybody can appear to love each other when all things are, are rosy. Anybody can. Anybody can appear to love each other for a day, a week. What about when things get rough? First is mental and emotional harmony. He says this in verse two, complete my joy, Apostle Paul says, by being of the same mind. This is mental and emotional harmony. He says in another place, being of one mind. This idea of marriage of two becoming one in one flesh, certainly you can see that that's difficult if you take two people with all the things we have and we merge them, weave them into one. But again, this is written to the church that we should have a mental and emotional harmony together of the same mind of 
one mind. It's certainly shared goals and shared interests. Not, not that just in a marriage relationship that, 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 that you're not two different people. You are. You're not clones. You communicate differently if you haven't noticed. Men and women communicate differently. I think I used this illustration last time. Study done. Women on average use 20,000 words a day. Men, can you guess men? 7,000. 7,000. <laughs> I might use 2,000 words a day. Now, that differs with how you process your thoughts, with how you express your ideas, how we think and communicate our ideas to other people. This is about the harmony. Again, this is under the, under the heading of it's going to take work. And healthy marriages take work. And healthy relationships take work. Some of you know that our church, we, we do, uh, you know, small groups scattered across and uh, they're not perfect by any means, but one of the things that, that, I, that I love about them is you can really practice this idea in those settings. You can, you're going to go for a couple weeks, and some of you are new, and you're just trying it out. It's going to be maybe a little awkward, but it's going to be pretty cool for a couple months. Then you're going to get a little more comfortable together, and then you're going to get offended and somebody's going to say something or do something. They didn't necessarily mean it, or maybe they did mean it. I mean, we're just a bunch of sinners in there. And, and you have a choice at that moment. If you want to do the work of realignment, emotional and mental harmony. I have a good friend of mine, J.D. Uh, Perry, you might know him. He's the director of our network and he's got four or five kids and I mean a cabillion grandkids and all his kids love them in the family and they all love the church and I just asked him one day I was like JD how how in the world do you raise kids that in their adulthood they love the local church they still love and want to be around you guys they just are carrying on the family legacy how do you do it and he said, well, we did a lot of things wrong. And in his humility, he, you know, set the stage. He said, one of the things I think we did right is we have, a, we have a family mission statement. A family mission statement. A marriage mission statement. And he said, and we've rewritten it a couple times. And it kind of changes season to season. But that's one of the things that we do that kind of get us all on the same page so that we can have this mental and emotional harmony. So I asked him what his was, and he gave me several others. He wouldn't give me his. He gave me several others. This is his. This is the others that he said is not mine. This is what he told me. We've been drawn together to make a difference in the world through our guidance, generosity, compassion, and showing the gospel. We want to show each person we interact with that they matter and were created in the image of God. That was his. And he says that those have changed over time. Maybe that's one of the, nobody likes homework, but maybe that's something you could talk about today over the lunch table. What would be, what would be your family mission statement? Maybe you don't have kids yet. Maybe what's, what's the marriage mission statement? Or maybe you're single in this room. What, what do you feel is the unique kind of, as we talked even last week about this unique burden that Nehemiah had, what, what might be that thing for you that you want to kind of set some parameters that kind of help you focus in on what this looks like? Ash and I um, have been married more than two decades, and that makes me sound so old, does it not? Wow. I just want to give you for free a couple lessons, men, that I've learned. Uh, women, you don't have to listen to this. These are some things that I've learned the hard way that would help you create emotional and mental harmony in your marriage. One, uh, Luke, you don't have to say everything you think. You don't have to say everything you think. Now, that, that, that was a message from the Holy Spirit that was echoed by my wife. She's, it came through her around to me. And I just had never thought about that. I thought about if you think it, you should probably say it, right? It's just not always helpful. 
So men, you don't have to say everything you think. Let's, let's place it through, uh, um, is this helpful grid, okay? Secondly, men, say the powerful thing. Use your words to bless your spouse. Men, use your words to bless your kids. Men, use your words to bless your friends. Your words create worlds in people. You can look back and remember, what does Proverbs say? A word aptly spoken. I can remember the first teacher that saw me and said, Luke, I see leadership in you. That was a blessing. The same year, a different teacher called me a little turd. I probably was one, but she didn't have to say it at that point, right? Not a blessing. Men, in your 7,000 words a day, use your words to bless people. Set an alarm on your phone at 9 o'clock every night before you go to bed and name that alarm, who did I speak blessing over today? Say the powerful thing. I try to tell my wife how beautiful she is, how sexy I think she is. I try to tell her, at, at least weekly, she's a phenomenal mom. She is killing it as being a mom. That she's a great wife. That she's such a good friend. Men, say the powerful thing. I think that we just get so caught up in our own headspace that we think, well, I, you know, I said that when I dated her and I wooed her and we got married and now she can't go anywhere, so I'm not going to say it anymore. What is, <laughs> Dave, what does Joby say? Scooter, you're too dumb to talk to. If, if that's your mentality, you've got to use your, say the powerful thing. Everybody complains. Everybody talks about how bad things are. Everybody at your work is talking about how their wife isn't doing what they wanted them to do and not acting how they want to. Don't, don't participate in that. Use your words even when your wife is not present to say the powerful thing about her. Friends, this is not the time for us to acquiesce to the culture out there. We can stand up and say the powerful thing. We can say the powerful thing about our friends. You're on a text thread and someone else is dissing on one of your other friends. Listen, you're not going to do that with me. I, we will stop that in the tracks. I do not want to be part of that. I love that brother. Do they, they make mistakes? Absolutely, just like I do. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to use our words to say the powerful thing. Thirdly, learn to not say anything. Learn to listen well. In studying this a couple weeks ago, I was reading this quote by Mother Teresa. Someone's interviewing Mother Teresa, and they asked Mother Teresa about her prayer life. She's hours in prayer every day. She's over there serving the poorest and poor in India. And they said, well, Mother Teresa, you spend all these hours a day. What do you say to God when you talk to him? And Mother Teresa said, oh, I don't say much. I mostly listen. And then the interviewer said, well, what does God say? He said, oh, he doesn't talk much. He mostly listens. And I laughed at that for a moment. And then that has just lodged in my soul. Sometimes we just don't have to talk all that much. We can just listen. Secondly, directional harmony. I mean, secondly, spiritual harmony. He says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We could fast forward to Romans 12 and talking about the renewing of the mind. This is the work that God is doing in you if you will participate in your transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is actively making you new. 
as the Apostle Paul would say, from one degree of glory to the next. He's renewing your mind and your thought patterns. He's renewing who you were and all the effects and damages that sin has wreaked on your thought life and your uh, mental capacity and, 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 and the, the patterns that you have lived in apart from him. And he's doing that work of renewing. This is why Paul can say here in Philippians that you should have this mind, this agreement among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, you can have the mind of Christ. Spiritual harmony. This is a husband loving his wife with sacrificial love and a woman responding to the love and leadership of her husband by following and respecting him. Can I, can I talk to you a little bit in the, in the marriages? Friends, how are you pursuing God's revealed will together? I'm not talking about his special you know, unique thing just for you. I'm talking his revealed will for all people, uh, all believers of all time. We start with the Great Commission. How are you and your bride living out the Great Commission? How are we doing that together? This is spiritual harmony. What, what is broken in society that he's called you two together to begin repairing in the name of Jesus by the power of, of the Spirit? What, where's that? Who are the people that you and your wife are neighbors with that you're praying for? What about your kids' friends and the people that they're spending time with? How are you, how are you praying for them? How are you pursuing God's will together? Is Jesus in the margins of your life or at the very center? How do you talk about how to follow the leadership of the Spirit together? When do you ask those questions? What does the mind of Christ look like with you together? How do we invite Christ even into our conflicts? You know, I feel like growing up, I never, I never heard my parents fight ever. And I've told you this, and I think that was really good in some sense, and it was bad in some sense, because I just assumed that to have a healthy marriage, you never fought. And, uh, but there would be times as I look back they fought a lot. They just didn't fight in front of us. You ever talking about something with your spouse and you got to tell your kids to go to the other room? It's like, hey, babe, won't you go, won't you go play with the dolls? Me and your mama got something to talk about. Meaning that we're going to talk about something deeper. Maybe say some names that they're not mature enough to hear. And we want them to leave the room. And that happens. All adults do that. But you know what? I feel like we do that with Jesus. I feel like when, when, when our ideas are conflicting with each other, I think this is what, hey, Jesus, could you go to the other room? I got to set my husband straight real quick. And we do, instead of inviting Jesus into the middle of the conflict, we want to push him away. What's God saying? What's he teaching you? What's he saying to your wife? What's he teaching her? When do you talk about it? That's spiritual harmony. Thirdly, quickly, directional harmony or agenda harmony. This is, it talks about in the end of verse two, being in full accord and of one mind. The New Living says, agreeing wholeheartedly. If you and a friend, you start a business and one of you start a business, the same business and your co-owners and one of you start the business because you want to make as much money as you can and the other one of you start a business so you can have as much fun as you can, that's agenda disharmony. And that's why most businesses that have two heads at the beginning or uh, two entrepreneurs that work together to start it that, that just doesn't last long. One's going to have to buy the other out because it's agenda disharmony and this happens in our marriages and it happens in our friendships all the time. Did you, is that the very center of your marriage that you want to please the Lord? Or is that the very center of your marriage that you just want to be happy? Is that the very center of your relationships, friendships, that you want to please the Lord in those friendships? Or is that the very center of your relationship, I just, I just want to find comfort? Are we working together or against each other? Are we in this fight together against all the other enemies that come after us? Or are we fighting against each other? If you're not careful, even your kids will be a wedge in your 
marriage. Ross and Jen at the 9.30 hour said, as we were interviewing them, that's the thing they fight about the most is the kids. One of the preachers at the conference we went to a couple weeks ago over in Dallas, he preached a sermon called the, the Backside to the Blessing. And this is what he talked about. You prayed and you asked the Lord for your kids and he gave them to you. And you're blessed by them. But there's also a shadow to that blessing, which means more responsibility, more tendency to, for division, more distraction even. So we have to know those things and have this directional harmony. See, friends, the enemy hates our unity. He hates it in our church. He hates it in your family. And he loathes it in your marriage. This is why he will do, he will stop at nothing to bring division. Jesus said himself of the enemy that he came to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Now, whatever Jesus said that the mission, uh, that, that the mission of Satan was, I would believe it. And this is exactly what he said. He came to kill, he came to steal, and he came to destroy. And a lot of us are just kind of laissez-faire, working through life like it's all going to work out without much effort, knowing that we have an enemy who is hell-bent on destroying you, killing, stealing, and destroying. If I knew someone was coming over to my house tonight for the purpose of killing or stealing or destroying, do you know what I would do? I would give Ashley a gun and make her wait up for it. And she would take it out. <laughs> Ask her about the time where she almost shot a pizza box in our kitchen. It's a real story. Oh, ninja-like. I was out of town. She heard this something fall in the kitchen. She's doing the, I, I imagine some of it in my head. She's doing these flips around the corner. Pointing that gun at that pizza box fell off the top of the trash. If someone was coming to your house to kill, steal, and destroy, do you not think that you would call everyone that's got a, pulse and a straight shot to bring all their weapons to your house so that you could unleash whatever you have against them as they're coming to kill and steal and destroy? Well, surely you would do that. And Jesus says, the enemy, this is what he's up to. The lives of your kids, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Your friendships, kill, steal, and destroy. The church, kill, steal, and destroy. The other side of that, John 10, 10, is that I've come that you would have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says. This directional harmony is hard because you thought that you just married him. And you kind of just married him, but you married, every, you married who he was becoming. I talked to a girl yesterday who is trying to talk her boyfriend into getting back into a relationship with her and she's pleading her case and she asked for advice and I told her to run. Listen, a lot of us married and we thought that we married the worst version of him and that marriage would be this directionally up and to the right and it would just get better and sweeter. Didn't we think that? Like, you know, they got some issues now, but it's only going to get better. And you've come to find out that you married the best version of him when you got married and it's only gotten worse. You added disappointment and grief and pain and uh, financial stress. And you put all of that on top of him. And now he's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. How do we get there? This is where the passage shifts in verse 3. We're going to live in harmony in our marriages and in our relationships. This is a sermon all, all to itself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And there's the diagnosis from the great physician. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. It's what takes down marriages. It's what takes down relationships. 
selfish ambition is that it's all about me and my dreams, me, 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 my comfort, my dreams, my ambitions, my culture, my traditions, my job, my stuff. Can you just meet my needs? Selfish ambition. Vain conceit is this posture that you always have to be right, that it's always their fault. I mean, you know, you know you ain't perfect, but almost, right? You're almost there. That's vain conceit. We pleasantly pamper our own pride and we continually coddle our own preferences. And Paul says that's no way to live. If you have the mind of Christ, that's no, that's no way to live. Instead, this is where scripture is so helpful. We're about to get to this part. When you look at the narrative of scripture, it's such a blessing because the world of the Bible is like your world. It's messy and broken. The people of the Bible are like you and your relationships. They're weak and they're failing. The situations in the Bible are like your situations. They're complicated and they're unexpected. And here's why Christian marriages don't work and Christian relationships don't work and there's not unity in the body of Christ is because we've drifted away from the gospel. We've drifted away from the mind of Christ. And the NIV says in verse 5, it says it like this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ in your relationships. And then he goes on and tells us, just so we didn't speculate exactly what he means, how we can have the mind of Christ in our relationships. So this is how to love like Jesus, and this will be how I finish if you give me 10 more minutes. First, secure identity. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, your translation might say. See, Jesus had a secure identity. He wasn't fighting for leverage. He wasn't fighting to make everyone know that he was right. He wasn't, he wasn't fighting for their validation. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to achieve equality with the Father. He already had equality with the Father. And he chose not to cling to that equality. Jesus' divine nature was not something that he had to seek for or acquire. It was already his. He didn't have to prove his worth to everyone. He knew his worth. He was God. He was there in the beginning when they said, let there be light. And Jesus opened his mouth and out came light. He was there in the beginning. So he didn't have to fight with, for equality with God because he was equal with God. And this is the secure identity that Jesus was able to walk in. And this is why he was able to humble himself and come to earth and serve the lowest of the low. And child of God, this is your identity. Do you know your worth? This is your first step. Do you know that the Father in heaven delights in you? Friends, if you're looking for people to validate your worth, if you're looking for your job for approval or a paycheck for status or the toys for fulfillment, you will always be one comment, one sentence, one phone call away from being crushed. All of those things are fickle and temporary. Jesus had such a secure identity, and friends, you can too. This is why walking with Jesus' spiritual harmony is the key to a healthy marriage. Listen, your spouse will make a lousy God. As a matter of fact, if you look to your spouse to validate some of the emptiness inside of you, you're going to crush them. This is one of the conversations that me and my friend Ross had, another broken egg. This is the best advice I think he ever gave me, other than, Luke, get rid of some of those couches. It was. He said, I go to God for my needs and my spouse for my wants. God in and of himself can meet every one of my needs. When you are so secure because of the greater word that God the Father speaks over you, it makes you confident. It makes you steady. It makes you consistent. It makes you immovable. Secure identity, 
Remember, we're looking at Jesus. Have this mind. It's possible for you to have this mind, which was in Jesus. And then he gives us the three kind of pictures of it. Secure identity. You can walk out of here with a secured identity. And some of you probably need to apologize to your spouse, apologize to your kids, even today. Hey, listen, I have put too much weight on you to validate me. I'm sorry about that. I need to be running to God for these very things, secure identity. Then second, sacrificial service, verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Sacrificial servant, the secure identity enabled him to radically, scandalously serve other people. Jesus intentionally made himself low. You go back and look at John 13 where he's washing those disciples' feet and it says that he stood up knowing where he came from and where he was going. That's that secure, uh, the secure identity. Then he stooped down, took off his outer clothes, stooped down and started washing the feet of the very one who would betray him hours from then. Who could do something like that? Only one that was secure in his identity that led to sacrificial service. Jesus intentionally made himself low. Friends, the more mature you become, the more you will want to serve other people. The more mature you become, the more the mind of Christ in you will demand, will lead you, will exhort you, will encourage you, will motivate you, will push you to serve other people. The baby cries when they want milk. They don't care if it's in a church service or a funeral or in the middle of the night. They love the middle of the night. They're going to let you know. The two-year-old demands what the two-year-old wants in the checkout aisle of Target and they put all the colorful things there and they will throw a fit and a teenager pouts when they don't get what they want until their needs are met. You know your teenagers ever do that? Not mine, mine are perfect. But the mature adult says what's needed. I'm here to serve sacrificially serve this sacrificial servanthood I've told you this everybody likes the idea of love but no one wants to pay the price for it and our invitation today is to walk the Calvary Calvary road of Christ to die to ourselves so that we might love radically other people like Jesus did let me give you the last one it's humility Intentional humility. In verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. I call it intentional humility because we see this picture of humility in its action form. As a matter of fact, every time the New Testament tells us and talks about humility, it's in the imperative, it's in the command, meaning humble yourself, meaning you're never going to feel humble. This is the posture that you take. I remember one time I was interviewing a youth intern and I asked the intern what his greatest character quality was and he told me it was his humility. And I said, well, that's not it. If you have to tell people, it's probably not true. The humility of Jesus is what led to his sacrificial love for us. Friends, you and I live in a broken world. And in marriages in here today, the two of you are less than perfect. But I want you to remember this one thing, that you're never alone in your struggle never alone this is the beauty of the gospel that Jesus did all these things for us so that we would never walk through it alone Acts 20 Acts 17 27 says that God is near so near that in your moment of need you can reach out and touch him it says in the passage because he's not far And some of you think that all the things that you've done and all the past and all the history and all the disordered loves and all the baggage and all the mistakes that you've made and you are so far 
And so even if you decided today you got to turn your life around and you got to take that 30 years that you've squandered in the desert and you got to march all the way back to the Father's love. But the Father's got this little Star Trek thing going on. And the moment you turn around, there he is. Arms wide open. I've been waiting on you, son. I'm so glad you're home, my daughter. So when you're sinned against, when the fallen world breaks down your door, don't lash out, don't run away. Stand in your weakness and in your confusion and remind the enemy who he's messing with. I'm not alone. God is with me and he is faithful and he is powerful and he is willing. I want to pray for us. We're going to have communion up here. And this communion just reminds us of those three points. Lily, if you could keep those three points up here, just so we'd be reminded of the secure identity and the sacrificial service and the scandalous humility by which Jesus came with. we're talking about marriages and we're talking about just relationships. I, I want to invite you to bring all your junk before the Lord today. No more excuses. As Dave says, no more making a list. I just want you to bring it all. Now, if your marriage is so perfect that you don't need prayer, then this is not for you. You can actually just go ahead and leave. Make it to the restaurant for anybody else and enjoy that perfect marriage of yours. But if you believe the enemy's coming after your marriage, if you believe the enemy's coming after your kids, if you believe, as Scripture says, that the enemy's coming after you to kill and steal and destroy, we're going to have a few moments this morning where we're going to bring this stuff before the Lord. And we're going to remind the enemy and we're going to remind ourselves today that the God we serve is faithful and he's powerful and he's willing and he's near. It's always awkward in this gymnasium when we have prayer time, but I want to invite you to pray to grab your spouse's hand or your teenager's hand or maybe you're by yourself, a friend's hand. Maybe, maybe just you just want to pray by yourself. This would be a great time to pray. And I just want you to be authentic and honest with the Lord. Jesus is not going to redeem and renew your mind unless you take this step of authenticity with him. He's not going to change who you're pretending to be. So we just got to repent. We just got to bring our stuff before him and say, you know what, Lord, I've I failed and I messed up and I'm apathetic or I said some harsh words or I'm so far from you. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? Would you clean and restore? Maybe you just need to pray heaven over your child. Our teenagers are walking through some of the hardest things in their life. I mean, things that we could never even imagine going on in their schools. Maybe you just need to pray over them. We'll have our prayer team in the back. I invite you to come up to the altar. The Old Testament, they just put a couple stones together and made it an altar. In Bozier City, we just put a little stage on this gym floor and we're just going to call it an altar. I do think there's something about the posture, though, about taking a step, of getting on your knees and grabbing a hand. I think there's something about the posture where we're saying, Jesus, I'm humbling myself, not striving anymore. I need you to heal it. I need you to fix it. I need you to move. And then when you're ready, come and take communion. God, I love you. I thank you for the men and women in this room. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their hearts. But like that dead engine in the RV, Holy Spirit, would you 
can bring some diagnostic help to us where the weeds have grown in with the wheat where the the misunderstandings grown in with the truth where the voice of others have kind of mangled out your voice over us God do it only you can do it's in Jesus name that we pray amen our prayer team's in the back altars open up here pray where you want to do what God puts on your heart to do